Hi everyone, this is Shrapnel Podcast and I'm Sam McElwain. Just before we start this week's pod, um, I just want to say thank you to the guys who sent in a voice note for the festive period. Um, first of all, we had three of our previous guests, Professor Colin Harvey, author Claire Mitchell and BBC Sounds' Jordan Dunbar. Thanks very much. And two of our more avid listeners and guys who give us continuous feedback uh, off Twitter, it's JK and... Again, off Twitter, it's Dr. Jess Bonham-White from the U.S. So thank you, guys. We appreciate the feedback. Happy New Year from New Jersey to Sam, Gareth, and all the listeners of Shrapnel Podcast. A big thank you, too, to all the guests, past, present, and future, for sharing their voices and perspectives. Here's to hoping the new year brings health and peace to all. Hello, my name's Colin Harvey. I was delighted to participate in the Shrapnel Podcast series this year, just wished to wish all listeners a very, very happy new year. And whatever happens in 2024 and in the years ahead, I hope that we can continue to talk to each other in a respectful way, because essentially, as a podcast series makes clear, dialogue and respectful dialogue is the only way forward for for whatever way we may end up sharing this island and these islands in the years ahead. So very, very happy new year to everyone. Evening, gents. It's a little bit strange um, trying to put into words um, my thoughts about the the Shrapnel podcast. Um, I'm probably not the, the demographic or the target audience, but as someone who's not a loyalist and probably doesn't meet any traditional definition of what a unionist is either. Um, maybe I should be the target target demographic. Um, having worked in loyalist communities, probably for the majority of my my career, um, as a as a community pharmacist over the last fifteen twenty years, um, I've become very frustrated, um, shall we say, by the depiction of loyalism and actual loyalists uh, on mainstream media, social media, and even more disappointingly from our from our politicians to be fair, some of the, the worst kind of caricatures being <clears throat> being put out um to to depict loyalists and, 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 and loyalism and even unionism to a certain degree. What Shrapnel's done is it's actually given a voice to to those unionists, to that narrative, to those stories, I'd probably argue it's not even really just like a a, a podcast for entertainment or for your drive home. I'd, I'd potentially argue it's it's educational. I can certainly think of more than a couple of our local political parties that, let's be honest, could really do with being educated as to what loyalism and and loyalists are because they're certainly not what they think they are um from how they speak i was going to say speak to them but we'll say speak at them um in my opinion um but that's probably another another conversation for another day um hearing stories without a particular bias it's it's refreshing um in a way that I don't think there's anything else out there that that does it. Um, Republicanism has been brilliant at getting their stories out, um, at getting their narrative out. Um, A lot of it very accurate. Some of it, we'll say, debatable in in bits and pieces, but either way, the narrative is out and it's there. Um, Loyalism hasn't had that for whatever reason. and I've worked, although I've worked mostly by chance in, in working class loyalist communities, I've worked a significant amount on the other side of that, on the other side of the peace wall in, in Republican areas. And the one thing that really stands out is how they are the same people, just with the same problems, just like different flags, if you want to put it if, if fairly simplistically. Um, but they have the same issues, same financial burdens, the same societal burdens, um, the same health inequalities. Again, that's a topic I could 
talk for for about two hours um but we'll we'll not go into that on the on a, on a voice note um it's just it's very refreshing to see and hear what you've done the voice you've given people um and further not to be a a slant as well um some difficult conversations and 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 difficult thoughts and 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 history being being put out there to the to the general public and to those that want to listen um particularly with the the dirty linen podcast um which was a fascinating listen and probably one of the highlights of your entire run so far if i'm being honest um for me it's a it's a resource rather than a podcast and it's a resource that i could name you a few mlas that to be fair could probably do with listening to it um keep up the great works gents um i realize this voice note is turning into a podcast of my own um so apologies for that but absolutely brilliant work merry christmas garth and sam and uh yeah looking forward to next week's content cheers gents ho 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 you merry christmas to the large shrapnel and all your listeners jordan dunbar here from BBC Blood and the Dance Floor. Hope you guys have had a great Christmas. I look forward to hearing episodes coming up. I look forward to you having me back. Hope that didn't come across as a threat. That's more a wish. Have a great time. Have a happy new year. Hey, Sam and Gareth. This is Claire Mitchell. Just wanted to say a huge thanks for having me on the podcast this season. I think it has been a brilliant season. You've been so true to your mission of honouring kind of grassroots loyalist stories and collecting oral histories while also being kind of exploratory and pushing the conversation to different places, which I suppose is the work of, of progressive loyalism. So well done. Keep her lit. Happy New Year. Hello and welcome to the Shrapnel Podcast. I'm your host, Sam McElwain, and as ever, joining me over the airwaves is my, what do I call him this time? I've called him mostly things, right-hand man, trusty foil. I'm just going to say the guy that keeps me on track most days, uh, Gareth Mulvenna. How are you doing, Gareth? Not too bad, Sam. I thought you were going to call me a red-hand man there. It's, uh, I was getting a bit worried about my reputation. No, everybody else is calling you a loyalist sympathizer and everything else, man. I just leave it to them. I'm just, I'm just rolling with the punches at the minute. Um, very nice. I said off air, I was going to call these guys the, the ghosts of Christmas past, and and they are to a certain extent, although they're not ghosts. And to be honest, they're still about and annoying most people, but they're here. Um, they've still got a voice and they've still got a lot of experience and stuff to give us. So today's podcast, we're bringing to you a guest from season one and a guest from season two. So from season one, we have Eddie Kinner and from season two, Davey Adams. Hello, Eddie. Hello, Davey. Hi, Tom. Hi, Gareth. Hi, how are you? Not so bad, thank Surveying. So, all you can do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we we'll say we'll keep this lighthearted, well, as much as lighthearted can be for Shrapnel in Northern Ireland, to be honest. Um, we'll have a look back over 2023. And I'll kick off by saying at, at the tail end of 22, we, we had a pot out called an election for Christmas, in which we hoped that there would be a deal done, an election just before Christmas. This year, we could have done a deal for Christmas as we were. Hopefully waiting on a deal to get storming up and running again. But we've passed two festive periods nearly without a functioning government. So, um, Eddie, we'll come to you first. Does this break your heart seeing that the work that we put in in 98 has led to this? Well, that, no real surprises with it. I mean, the two lead parties, Sinn Féin's objective is to ensure that the system can't work. And the DUP were really anti-agreement. So um, they uh, systematically um, tore the, the, the Goose Ferry Agreement apart at uh, Hillsborough when they removed the Lexus Civic Forum. That has been a crucial element of it that, has, that could have prevented the um, walkouts from the Assembly by both the Shinners and the DUP. If they had been in position then, that if the Civic Forum was in position, it could have... Um, dealt with the, the issues um, that caused the walkouts. They could have foreseen the difficulties and the issues and the problems. I mean, the whole idea of the Civic Forum was to um, advise the, the uh, Assembly uh, of what could be sold to the 
um, relevant uh, constituencies. What would what what could be acceptable? Um, it could deal with. I mean, as Davy said in his, I think it, it was a, it's a serious important element. Is that there's been no um, attempt at any reconciliation from those main parties, the two key parties, um, the Ulster Unionists and the SDLP, were eroded. Um, as a result of bringing about the Good Friday Agreement. Yeah, Davey, Eddie's talking about there the, the last time you were on, and you're speaking about reconciliation. And yeah. he's also bringing up there the Civic Forum, the lack of accountability for our politicians. Yeah. I mean, did we automatically take away two foundations when we built this house and, and leave it teetering all the time? Uh, I think the root of our problem in terms of dormant is the ability of one of the major parties to bring the whole building down when they take a fit of peak, which is quite often. I mean, that was a result of the St Andrews Agreement. I mean, in what other democracy do you have a, a posi- have the position where a party decides to take the hump and walk away and the whole thing collapses and, and everyone's held to ransom? I agree entirely with that. He regards the, the Civic Forum and that sort of thing. But as I'm sure people have noticed, what really gets to me now, and not just on a personal level, I'm thinking of the future and I'm thinking of the damage that's being done. There has been absolutely no effort to make reconciliation from our so-called leaders. I mean, they, there are many individuals and many groups that are working away um, fantastically well um, across, across divides and all the rest of it. But they need... The society as a whole needs leadership, it needs direction, it needs an example being set. And that isn't happening. And I keep coming back to it, but the simple case is that our parties, and not all of them, I don't mean all of them, but you know who I'm talking about, our parties, they stir the pot, they excite division, and then they feed off it electorally. And until we as a people uh, stop allowing ourselves to be taken for fools, and allowing ourselves to be used in this manner, then that will continue. I mean, this has been going on since I was a child. Now, I'm 71. I just turned 71 this, uh, in December. And I can never remember it being much different than that, you know. Um, and how often are we going to allow ourselves to be taken to the top of the hill and left there by someone who suddenly finds, uh, by some party that suddenly finds, oh, well, you know, Actually, what we've been protesting about isn't so bad after all, or find some smokescreen of words to cover their, their giving in on an issue. I mean, think of how ludicrous it is at the moment where the DUP have been objecting and their Brexiteer supporters have been objecting about the outworkings of something that they supported through thick and thin and against the democratically expressed wishes of the people of Northern Ireland, and now um, we don't have government because they're protesting about something that they helped to deliver and something actually that they welcomed when it first came on the scene. I mean, I know, and I used to be a bit angry at people who voted for Brexit because I used to say to stuff well, you know, anybody could have seen what that was about and all the rest of it, but I've thought about a lot, and you know, we have to recognise that an awful lot of people, myself included often, down through the years, not so much now, but where you allow the politicians to work out the fine details of things and you trust the politicians that when they advocate something, it's for all of our interests. So, you know, if people told you, uh, you know, party leaders told you, well, this is a good thing and all the rest of it, who's going to sit down and read all all, all the intricacies of, of the EU and all the rest of it? And they would take the party's word for it. So there's a bit of an excuse there, but there's no excuse, no excuse now for allowing ourselves, and I'm talking about the unions community, to be once again for the umpteenth time to be led to the top of the hill and then abandoned there. You know, it's does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, it reminds me of something, and I'll let Eddie, because I know Eddie wants to come in here, but it reminds me of something Davey Irvine said, which was, and I've probably said it a few times in this podcast, but every time a unionist leader goes into negotiations, they come out with less. 
it's diminishing returns over and over again. And what 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 I'd be interested in, and maybe Eddie will touch on this as well, is why hasn't the progressive loyalism that you guys were involved in in the late nineties why has that not trickled down to this generation? Because I would have seen that as an important intervention in debates around Brexit and. As Davy says, are looking at the fine details, trusting politicians to actually look at the fine details and see will this actually be good for your community? I think I think crucially in response to that, um Davy um had quoted uh Tony Blair as saying that they would facilitate the politicization of Republicans whilst the police would look after the loyalists. And in effect the establishment undermined loyalism and the development of loyalist p- politicians. Um, they have no question, no doubt about it, that the establishment um, were determined to prevent us from developing. Um, the evidence for me was in John Alderdice and the AMC recommending that the PUP's funding um, be stopped on the actions um, of so-called UVF men the specific UVF men's actions had uh, military intelligence handlers. So they were working on behest of the British government, and that was about undermining a bit the development of loyalism. Um, so that, that practically left us with little opportunity to develop. I mean, I don't know why you... you I, I think you have exactly the same experience with that, David. I mean, I think... Very much, Eddie. And what I would add is that even when I was in this one council many, many years ago, um, <laughs> I didn't like being a councillor. I wasn't very good at it. Thankfully, at the next election, the people of Lisbon North agreed with me. But anyway, leave that aside. I watched quietly as the DUP spent their time trying to undermine us and trying to, and I don't mean overtly, I mean behind the scenes and trying to attract what would broadly be known as our constituency to their camp, and they succeeded in that. And there's also, there's what Eddie says as well, of course, but there's also the fact that, I mean, we were going to end up with more unionist parties than you could shake a stick at. And there's only so many slices you can you can uh, <laughs> take from a, a particular constituency. I mean, you'll always have in our in our situation, you'll all have, always have two major representatives of a broad community uh, on nationalism. That's that's uh, SDLP and Sinn Fein, and in unionism, um, that's uh, DUP and also unionists. Once you go beyond that, you're into fringe territory, and you know nowadays looper territory. But there was all of that. Um, and personally speaking, and to be perfectly honest about it, you know, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I wanted to make a career out of politics. Um, whenever the whenever the Good Friday Agreement, whenever we got that over the line with North and South, um, I was sort of without without it even congealing entirely in my mind. That was when I said to myself, "Well, this is this is it over." There was a wee voice somewhere in the back of my head, "Over for me." I mean. Time to move on, but and I did, and you know it. It it, it was it was an awkward breakup. Let's put it that way. But I mean, just to cut in, David, I'm, I I don't want to argue with you and Eddie because well, you, you know the road better than I do. You're saying there about two parties always existing within the same community. Would it not been more beneficial for those two unionist parties to bring in the loyalist parties within their ranks as opposed to absolutely destroying them? Um, would it not been better to I know cherry pick the best of it, or bring them in as a fringe party within their own party, and work with it, work with the community that way, as opposed to what they did. They eradicated the the UDP first, took a few more years, but they've near enough got rid of the PUP as well. So well, it's think, a case of I think bringing those Sam, in. I think Sam, before the guys come in there, I think the DUP have done that over the years. They have cherry picked some of the people that they think will speak to the loyalist working class constituency and got them in there as DUP representatives. We've seen yeah. it with with certain. I'm not. I'll not name the individuals, mm. but you know it's been done. It's been done, and I think it's been done. Maybe not so c- much cynically, but you know it's it's taken the last vestiges of that progressive loyalism. Mm. The people who were involved with the PUP um, and some with the UDP and around the UDA, 
and sort of moved them into the DUP and subsumed them. And I think that's always a problem with unionism, going back to the formation of Northern Ireland, that it's always sort of tried to corral dissenting voices into the one sort of monolith. And that, that to me, is a difficulty. I mean, just before you came in there, Sam, I was thinking, and I mean, looking back, it, it wouldn't have happened, but when you look at the CLMC and the political representatives that came out of that, the PUP and the UDP, would they have been able to pull their resources? Probably not because of the different personalities. But I think once you bring people in to like a monolith, it can become dangerous because then the, the uniqueness of those voices get lost. Yeah, but I was I was more thinking of maybe bring the party in and not the individual. So instead of bringing in bringing in the Billy Hutchison or bringing in the Davy Irvine, you bring in the PUP. And you have that. So within the Labour Party, you, you see the fringe events that take place every year at the conference. And there's, there's near enough many parties within the party. That that that, that would be my idea of what, where that would be. Because you would have a body of people then within that party that can hold a bit of sway as and give a better voice within the party as opposed to one individual shouting into the, into a room full of other people. It it doesn't really work. Um, I think, what do you guys think? Sorry. You want to well, do I, that? I, I think... Davy um, had moved into a con- conclusion in terms of we may have been better infiltrating those uh, established parties. Um, and I think at, 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 towards the end, Davy had um, take the, took the Unionist Party whip. So I think he, he, he may have recognised that that was a step that needed to be done and he may have moved the PUP into it. That's um, I recommended that. The resistance... Um, there would have been some resistance if he had have attempted it, but Davy was um, strong-willed enough, and uh, the the charisma he would have brought brought the party with him. There's no question about that. Uh, I think. Go sorry, ahead, Gary. Uh, uh, I think theoretically that sounds fine, Sam, but in practice it wouldn't have worked at all. Um, by definition, what you would be doing would be bringing a small group of people into a large lake, let's say that, you know, whatever, mixing metaphors and all the rest of it. But, I mean, any sense of, I mean, working class going into what are largely conservative uh, parties, um, we we would have been diluted out of existence, you know what I mean? And then there would also be, and it's only human as well, people did defect to you. DUP in particular, but they were sort of DUP leaning people anyway. And as well as that, you have the very human thing about, well, I go with the party on this, I don't care, it doesn't matter whether I agree with it or not, as long as I'm getting elected at the next thing, all of this business. So I don't think our voices would have survived, or at least not survived, to the extent where they could influence the larger party. Um, so as I say, I think it, you know, in theory it sounds good, but I don't think it would have worked in practice at all. And is that one of the things? I mean, I find that interesting because people, particularly when the DUP came to prominence over 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 the course of a few years ago with uh, their their influence in Westminster, and people started talking about the unionist community, and the unionist community is represented by the DUP. But it goes back to that age old question: when you dig in the working class loyalism. And you saw that with the UDP and the PUP. A lot of these parties and the people who are in them and who sort of gravitated towards them are actually quite, um, you know, they wouldn't be socially conservative. They would be quite progressive, as in the name, in terms of a lot of the issues that we talk about, but same-sex marriage, um, you know, um, a woman's right to choose, all these sort of things. But then it comes to election time, people get afraid about the constitutional issue, then they're all in behind, as you say, Davy, the conservative politics. And that's where I think there's always been that misrepresentation of the loyalist working class, that they're seen as this sort of conservative lumping block, whereas actually when you dig deeper into the community, and that's not, not, not a blanket sort of characteristic of the community, but actually when you encounter people in that community, they're quite, um, quite liberal attitudes there. Yeah. So again, that's was, the danger of being yeah. subsumed. Sorry, Gary. I'm just. I think it's quite telling that you say that 
we loyalists have their own sort of political sort of voice and ideas, and then when it comes to election time, you row in behind the usual parties. And all three of us, me, Eddie, and Davey, all laughed at the same time because we've, we've, we've all been there. We're, we're just looking at our going oh, what, again, really, <laughs> every time, fucking every time we do this, you think we'd learn. I mean, you know, many times we have to touch that hot thing before we realize it keeps burning. This, you know, it's just we keep doing it. We were self destructing every single election cycle. Yeah. Um, is it right? We've done the we've done the we've done the really crappy stuff there. We've said about how progressive loyalism gets killed every time and gets gets smothered. Um, but can it can it have an influence? Let's look at the positives of it. Can it have an influence? It maybe it maybe can't direct larger parties, but can it have some sort of power that it, it can have a voice and maybe give voices to those who don't have it as much as they should do? How's that, Eddie? Um. Yeah, it has the potential to be a, a a pressure group to apply pressure to the parties. I mean, uh, effectively, you can see Jim Allister and Jimmy Brayson putting pressure on the DUP for reforming the Assembly. And they're running to scared and responding to that. They're afraid of how people are going to respond to it. Um, I challenged Jimmy Brayson on social media on one occasion in terms of... Um, why would you uh, allow the implementation of the framework to be left to the government that has already betrayed you? Um, is there not a danger that the implementation is going to weaken your position even further? Should you not be in there taking control of it and m- measuring what's, what the, the implications of it all are so that you can respond to it and challenge it from within? Um, he didn't respond. So, I mean, those are the kind of arguments. I think the DUP need to use that as justification alone for uh, getting back into the Assembly. Um, I think, crucially, um, nothing's going to work until they learn to cooperate with each other. This whole shared um, status has to be implemented as a shared status. We need to... uh, I mean... I'm working, uh, the PUP worked on the process in terms of um, we learned in long cash to cooperate with Republicans in order to improve conditions. And to me, that's that was the roots of the peace process. And that is, is still evidence of what needs to be done in terms of um, resisting. We need to understand each other's difficulties and we need to try and accommodate them. Yeah, what do you I th- think. Yeah, sorry, Davey, go ahead. No, go ahead, Garth, go ahead. No, it's just, just when ahead, Eddie yeah. was saying about that, it's the age-old thing of logic clashing with rhetoric, isn't it? You know, when you put a logical argument forward, it's, it you know, to show you a way out of this, people are more comfortable in Northern Ireland in the rhetoric, and I'm not just talking about unionism here. A lot of the time, people are just comfortable with the old shibboleths, and they'll just go back to that. So what you're saying about Jamie Bryson there, for example, it seems logical, what you're saying, Eddie. So there, that's why there's no response. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> well, he couldn't argue with it, I don't think. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I was probably brought up it was better to be in the ring fighting than sitting on the sidelines shouting. Um, yeah. So I, I'd be off that opinion too, that it, if as long as we have a seat at the table, as long as we have an input, then we have some sort of control over our destiny. But the more we sit outside, the less control we have. And you're right, Eddie, about what you're saying about why trust... I trust the government that's never, ever, ever <laughs> given us anything. I mean, I'm struggling in my mind to think of a prime minister, the last prime minister to actually give the loyalist community something um, and who didn't do backroom deals. I mean, people will laud Thatcher. Thatcher was in talks with Republicans in, in private long before they became public and why things were going on in, the, in, in public that people thought she was fighting the IRA and she wasn't. She was talking to them at the same time. So... We're we're at a situation where I'm struggling to remember a prime minister that actually did us any favours whatsoever. I think, I personally speak, and I fully intended never to involve myself in political commentary or anything like that ever again. But I, I just had no appetite for it uh, or anything, or or to raise a profile again, anything like that. I wanted a happy retirement with my family and grandchildren and all the rest of it. But such is the situation; I couldn't keep my mouth shut any longer. So personally, I'm very much, where I'm concerned, I am going to keep, like, the hurler in the ditch, as I say, I learned that in Dublin, by the way. 
I'm going to be the hurler in the ditch for as long as I can get people to listen to me, for as long as I can get publications to carry my articles about the absolute lack of attempt by our major parties here uh, on reconciliation. I mean, it's exactly the opposite. And I think we do have to get beyond ourselves, you know, as individuals, get beyond this idea of Republican and Unionist and just start thinking of people, all of us are people who just happen to have different views, sometimes different religions, sometimes it doesn't matter. We have to think of what what is good for all of us. I say, you know, it can't continue forever being this zero sum game of Oh, if that suits them, it doesn't suit us, or if it suits us, it'll not suit them. And for Christ's sake, we've been up and down this road so many, many times. And, you know, the old cliche about politics here, we're no longer in a peace process because there is no process. What's the process? And the logical end to any peace process, a real peace process, is reconciliation. And we have we have to get our minds back to that. And I think the more people who of experience, of influence, of position, who start speaking out and start demanding that our leaders start leading in terms of reconciliation and don't always be measuring in our heads, well, if they're getting that, it must be bad for us. You know, start thinking of ourselves as just one people. And with reconciliation, wherever that takes us, so be it. You know, we agreed in the Good Friday Agreement. It's not as if we're idiots. We didn't, it's not as if we didn't notice that there was a chance of a border pole, you know, and that there was the outside chance that maybe nationalists would win that border pole. That's it. We agreed to that. And it's just democratic. Imagine if we had a majority of the people in Northern Ireland who wanted a united Ireland, but there was no means of, 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 of realising it, you know. I'm not advocating for united Ireland in any sense, but I strongly, I strongly support the idea of a border poll, because that's what I signed up to and I knew exactly what I was signing up to. In the meantime, let's start thinking of each other as people. Let's start working together for the common good and let the future take care of itself. Does that sound a bit preachy? No, it's important to me because I think the criticism you got when it was announced that you were going to be talking at Ireland's future missed the point. And again, it comes back to what we've been talking about continually in this episode and people missing the point, the logic of it. And what what you're trying to do, and you've stated it clearly, and you talked about it in this podcast and on Talkback and everywhere else you've been dragged out of your retirement to talk at, Basically, instead of putting your fingers in your ears and pretending that things aren't happening, you're actually putting the ball in, I suppose, Republicanism's court and saying there needs to be better uh, work done on reconciliation before we move anywhere. So you can't just have, again, it's the rhetoric. You, the rhetoric's great. It, it, it fans people up and gets them excited, oh, yeah. but you need the logic and, and you're putting the ball in the court saying we need reconciliation. And that's something that hasn't come about. Actually, it's got worse since 1998. I mean, as uh, regarding the Ireland's future thing, first off, I would have, with my background, I would have a cheek refusing to speak to anyone. Now, the only people I refuse to speak to are balloons, you know, people who are sounding to me the way Paisley sounded in the 60s and 70s, that, that sort of agent. I, you know, I have nothing to, to, to learn or hear from them. But I'd be going and saying to Ireland's future, and they know Basically, you know, broadly what I'm going to say is, listen, this is fine, but we need reconciliation. If we have a united Ireland, the way things sit at the moment, if we have a united Ireland, we're just moving the problem on a, a, a larger stage and risk, and in my view, probably will poison the whole island, the social and political fabric of the whole island. But the other side of that, now that would sound like an argument for unionism not to reconcile. But the other side of it is, I mean, if unionism wins a border poll and we remain as we are without reconciliation, what sort of a place is this to live in? This absolute mess 
And it would only be a matter of time before some British government does what, in the back of their minds, they've always sort of been inclined towards but can't find a way of doing it, and that is walk away. But aside from all of that, I mean, reconciliation is the right thing to do for children, grandchildren, the future. As a, it's become a cliche of mine, but it's the only way to build a future that's worth having. You know, we all have a future. Well, some of us are one foot in the grave. <laughs> but are we in the departure lounge? Grandchildren, eh? <laughs> We're in the departure lounge. Ah, yes. <laughs> God's waiting room. Um, but, you know, it might sound all peace, peak people and all the rest but it's absolutely true. We have to start looking to the future. You know, who wants to live or who wants to pass on this poison chalice of hatred and division generation after generation? And you never stand still. Things never stand still. And those parties who are just spending their time going for the short-term political gain and all that, you know, votes and that. I mean, things will go back. I mean, anyone who knows anything about Irish history knows that if we're not moving forward, we'll not sit still for long, we stay back. And that's, you know, sorry for the rant, yes. <laughs> but, but I think, no. Gary, what Davy's saying there sort of feeds into really where you are, that you don't want to see a repetition of the past. You know, the road it led you on to wasn't the road that you yet hoped that future generations would be going down. I mean, I, I, everyone acknowledges and recognises that the starting point is integrated education. Um, yeah. I think in terms of... Uh, as a member of the, the PUP, I can at one of the party conferences, I had put forward a motion for introducing national service. And the whole reaction to it was, you know, before they'd heard what I was proposing, the reaction was there was never national service here. No, just during two world wars, there was never 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 any need for national service. There's no way we're having it. And uh, the my proposal was that uh, essentially middle-class kids uh, get their A-levels and go on to university. Um, the majority of working-class kids are kicked out. In the past, there was apprenticeships. They no longer exist, so they're pretty much on the scrap heap. So my proposal was introduce a form of national service where those kids would go into apprenticeships with the services that are used to run the society, fire service, ambulance service, um, police service, military service, all the different services. They, when, instead of getting through on a scrap at 16, they start a, an apprenticeship in a, all of the services and you're investing in them developing and giving them ownership of those specific services. Um, it, that went through at the, the PUP's party conference. It's something that needs to be done, not just here, across the board. You know, that, because I think society's just falling apart. Um, and with all of the immigration, uh, the migrations that, that's taken place, it's even worse. Um, and it's the value system that we had, we grew up with, is completely eroded. Um, something needs to be done for us. In terms of our position here, that I see is one way of um, uh, investing in kids leaving school um, and teaching them ownership of, of the services within society and investing in it. And that is one method I would view it as developing and potentially developing the reconciliation that Davies um, advocating. Uh, because at that stage, I mean, you don't, they don't mix, they don't see each other. Um, I just yeah. think it's a a good. I mean, I'd, I'd like to see whoever ends up in the assembly implementing something o along those lines. Um, it's yeah, and I think what you're saying there is is you engender a social conscience within within the next generation. They buy into our, they buy into the community, they buy into the, the sort of national culture. 
and and they they have a piece of it. And if they own a part of it, they'll look after it a bit more and respect it a bit more. I think that's what you're aiming at there with with, with the way you're talking about the national service. Yeah, that's that's it, Sam. I mean, I, I suppose. <laughs> no, it does. It sounds great. Especially, I mean, one of the other things I was going to bring up today was there was a report done at the end of October uh, on food bank usage in Northern Ireland, and it was up 141% on the previous year. You mean, it, at what point are we looking at our society and our, our communities and going, how are we allowing this to happen? I mean, we, we have, have we moved on anywhere from the 70s? Have we moved anywhere forward from the 98 hope that we had? Have we, what have we actually done? Have we regressed so much and and sort of checked out of of our social conscience that we're we're allowing this to grow? I mean, Gareth will attest to figures within the mental health sector, um, and and the growth of well, what do you say? You don't say the growth of of bad mental health. It it, it it's yeah, we've become a culture that is so so run down and so broken. And we're distracted by by those other things that come along, like constitutional questions and flags yeah. and and party tunes and whatever else. We're we're looking at the shiny big object on the hill, and we're not not looking around us to see how our communities are either heating or eating this year, or maybe neither. As we were discussing earlier, Eddie, it's. I mean, what are your feelings on this, Gareth? Well, it's just what you say, Sam. I mean, I think it's time to stop using the term "cost of living crisis." It's the cost of surviving crisis, and you know. It was Sam that put that idea in my head. And I think that is the way society is now. Um, when, when you see the use of food banks, mental health crisis, we're perennially in crisis. And I don't think it's unique to Northern Ireland, but yeah. I think it's compounded by the fact that we don't have anyone to make decisions. And those people who are able to make decisions on our behalf aren't making them in our best interests, just as they aren't in the rest of the UK. Sorry, is my sound still on? Yep. Can you still hear me? I can hear you there, David. Um, there's something going on with the sound, though. Yeah, man. I have Is one it, of these eyes up at David. I'm going to go out and come back in again, okay? Okay. <laughs> can you hear me okay? Yeah. Is this oh, one of that. Tony's? Is this one of Tony's interruptions? No. Don't know. Is Sam on? Sam's on mute as well. Yeah, I was just saying oh, it's, 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 it's sabotage from the south. Nah, <laughs> you're back in now, but you're okay. We tried to we tried to get you off the system, but you know, you came back. Is <clears throat> try to get rid of you one of these days. I mean, I suppose I suppose I should really ask you guys what is your highlight or low light, whatever you want from 2023, Eddie. If you want to go first, anything at all. What what's what springs to your mind? What what was a good part or a bad part? You don't have to give me one of each, just a part. <laughs> Well, twenty twenty four. Have you have you that much hope for next year? Sorry, have you that much hope for next year? Have you? What I'm saying, the best part of twenty twenty three was twenty twenty four. Yeah. Oh no. Well, for me, it was just health issues, would have, which have eased a bit, you know. But um, I do actually think if the numbers of people that have contacted me and all the rest of it privately and whatever. I do actually think there's uh, not quite a groundswell, but people are beginning to say, listen, this guy's a point right? about these parties making no effort towards reconciliation, you know. They really have to leave it and, and set examples and all the rest, but I'm not going to go into that anymore, sorry. Eddie, what's your highlight? highlight? That was my highlight, yeah. People yeah. twigging on to well. Yeah. My highlight? <laughs> yeah. Can't. Or, or, or no, like, don't, don't, don't let us force you to be a positive like <laughs> We don't want to do that. I just probably, uh, the low life is the amount of people that have passed away, that have uh, friends and relatives that have passed away, so can't, can't really. Yeah. Um, highlight, could we highlight in the Bully Mac with, uh, uh, Christmas dinner with, uh, Ex-prisoners, so yeah, let her reminiscing with them, and like I said earlier, we're all on the de- departure lounge. So, well, who's not going to be our next Christmas? Just on that, Eddie, was there any more progress made towards a loyalist version of Norm Meekly serve my time? 
Are you going to get those stories together? <laughs> Not yet. I'll do, I'll check it out at the next meeting to see if I can get anywhere. No. Nope. Yeah. I'll check it out. At, I'll check it out at the next meeting to see if we're getting anywhere. With other than that, I'm going to have to start typing myself. Absolutely. I've ordered a few few new things. I've ordered a few new things and I put them in contact. I've given them the Trooper McGee piece and um, the Warrior Team piece as examples that could be used as as, a, as something for it. Yeah. Um, can... Ronnie has a, a released. Ronnie has done a couple of pieces um, that have published on uh, Museum of Loyalism. Yeah. Uh, about uh, have I don't know if you've seen them. Have you? I have, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, so there right. are things I mean, getting written up. Gareth is banged on. Yeah. Me, me and Gareth have banged on about this for years anyway, about people putting their stories down, or coming on here and talking, or going on the another podcast we were talking about others earlier on, and get the stories out there. But I think what Gareth's saying there about, let's get them together in, in sort of one volume to start with. We could probably fill four or five volumes with the stories, but let, let's start getting them down and... and preserving them you know let's let's keep them there for the, the generations that are coming to let them see that there was more than one narrative to this place unfortunately it, 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 there were several uh, and loyalism has its own and needs to be needs to be spread and told and shared um i suppose maybe we'll ra- like just wrap up because i know we're in that place in between christmas and new year where nobody quite knows where they are anymore and what they're doing although that might be you every day david um it's <laughs> but we're, we're, we're sort of you've we're been sort reading of... my email listen <laughs> <laughs> like, i work i work for says. i work for intelligence services i know what you're getting every day listen <laughs> <laughs> we've had we've had 17 guests on this year including yourself davy on on this season and we usually do a recap of who they are and we're not going to because to, to do them any justice whatsoever, but probably spend another hour talking about who they were and what they, what we talked about. Um, but we are we are going to keep going for a bit longer before we take a break. And I just suppose I want to sort of promote. We've got a live event coming up in, in Queens in a couple of months. Uh, we're talking um, to a good friend of of Gareth. Do, do you want to give a bit more around about that, Gareth? Yeah, it's um, Paul just, 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 Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, Paul Murchis. Just inter- uh, uh, Sorry, go ahead, Eddie. Uh, just uh, introduced a new ACR in Queens in terms of their uh, the rules and the transgender issues. Right. Um, okay. I, I am waiting on verification of that, Eddie. To be honest, um, what's that? I, I am waiting on verification of that. Um, I don't know whether that's actually bang on or not. Um, I've asked for an update before, just before I comment any further on it. But yeah. Um, Go yeah, ahead, no, the, no, the event. Um, so yeah, Paul Burgess, former drummer, songwriter of Rufrex, is going to be doing our first live event to promote his book, Wild Colonial Boys. Um, and I think Eddie will be up up front with his Rufrex t-shirt on, hopefully. Um, <laughs> which he's always good at representing. January. <laughs> in fact, fe- in February. So you, it's getting February. a bit, bit milder. Then you've no excuse. Yeah. Um, but I know that that'll be good. It'll be good to give Paul a bit of a bit of promo around the book, and you know, I mean, Paul's story, I suppose, coming from the Greater Shankill, meeting all the people he did, um, and then you know, going into academia. It's a brilliant story, and when the book comes out, people should buy it. Manchester University Press, and um, yeah, tickets are available on Eventbrite for our event on the sixth of February, and the ninth, ninth Friday, the ninth, 9th of February. That, that's it. Yep. Senior, another senior moment here. I'm getting in the mood here with everyone else. I'm, and you're you're the baby of the group too. Uh, uh, relatively, yeah. yeah. Old age is contagious, Gareth. It is. It is. Yeah, indeed. And and as far as I'm aware, Gareth, that's our first confirmed live event of of the year. Um, we've another one coming up at the Imagine Belfast Festival. Um, yeah. Which we we're to confirm time and date and our guest for that one, but. It's looking like a year for for Shrapnel to go on the road. So if you're listening to this and and you interact with us on a regular basis, come on along. Let let us come meet us face to face and give us that feedback face to face. Because the amount of people who contact me after each episode is quite yeah, it's heartening. It is really heartening um, to see the interaction. It's not always good, but at least it challenges people to challenge me, and then we we can have a bit of a discussion. Um, so I hopefully see you all there on the ninth at seven o'clock, as Gareth said, Eventbrite. Um, 
get on now. Tickets are free. I mean, how often do you get a free ticket for something? Uh, but come along and, and listen to us and interview our, our very interesting guests because I've actually been reading through the book bits of it and yeah, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of the same land that we've tread. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Um it'll yeah. be an interesting discussion. Um and then we'll take another break here for a week or two before we'll we come back with our normal sort of season schedule. Um and we've got a few guests already lined up that are uh yeah, they're picking my interest. Not not that Eddie and Davey have never picked my interest, but you know, it's just 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 more and, and a varied sort of guest range coming up. So thank you for joining us today. Um Gav, do you want to wish our listeners a happy new year or anything at all? Or? Um, well, if I have to, I suppose, yeah. Um, I hope everyone's had a really good Christmas. And yeah, I hope, as Davey says there, 2024 is something to look forward to. And, you know, I hope uh, everyone has a good New Year's Eve. And yeah, 2024 is a good year for everybody. And Northern Ireland, the North Ireland, whatever you want to call it, we'll, we all look after each other and get towards this reconciliation that Davey talks about and that, you know, Eddie and Davey were heavily involved in trying to promote 25 years ago. And again, I think both of them, before we leave, I'll, I'll mention that their invites to the 25-year events at Queen's must have got lost in the post. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you want anybody that actually did a bit of work for it? You know, yeah. you, you just wanted the, the big names there. You didn't, I mean, people who got their hands dirty, literally got their hands dirty. Nah, Davey who? Abby yeah. who? <laughs> uh, yeah don't don't uh it was a it, it it was brought up at a recent podcast on the tour to check about people who weren't there and how it was a, a back slapping exercise and i have to say but it was um as much as i enjoyed being there and listening to some of the story there was a lot there's a lot more sort of missing from it than was there if that makes sense now that i forced everybody to be positive today including gareth jesus this is going to be tough um, I suppose I have to do my bit and I just want to thank everybody who's listened this year uh, your continued support and abuse is welcomed um, and we move forward to 2024 with new challenges coming towards Shrapnel and, and to us as a society um, just remember every day above ground is a good day and, and take that and move forward with it um, and try and see the kindness in people before you see the badness in them and if there is badness in it challenge it don't, don't be hiding or don't be shouting about it. Challenge it. Try and change it. So from Eddie and David, thank you very much. And from Gareth and myself, thanks a lot for listening in. And Happy New Year. And I'll see you next year. Happy New Year, guys. And Eddie and all the listeners. Hi, folks. Thanks for listening in this week's pod. I'm sure you loved it. Uh, Davey and Eddie are, are just are just vats of knowledge. Um, and we just keep tapping into them to see what we can get out of them. Um, thanks for listening in again this year in 2023 uh, please continue to listen in 2024 give us a five star rating on, on wherever you listen to us Spotify iTunes and if you can subscribe to us on Patreon it's it, it helps keep the light on I know it's a few quid and I know everybody's feeling a little bit tight out there but we keep going because of it uh, and it lets us do this for you guys to listen to thank you <laughs>